On this episode of the Dudes and Dads podcast, we talk with Corey Martin about everything from jail time to family time. You're listening to the Dudes and Dads podcast, a show dedicated to helping men be better dudes and dads by building community through meaningful conversation and storytelling. And now, here are your hosts, Joel DeMont and Andy Lehman. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Dudes and Dads podcast. Uh, it's me, Joel, here with my good friend, Randy Wayman. Oh, you, again, no. <laughs> again. I can't let you do this open anymore. It's just, no more. Oh, gosh. Uh, Andy, hey, good evening. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Good, good. We're still good friends even when I intentionally mispronounce your name. Yes. Uh... Brothers and sisters, faithful listeners, thanks for coming back and joining us again for another episode. Hey, uh, if you haven't noticed, people, it's crazy out there, but it's warm and pleasant in here. So you just put those earbuds in, the headphones on, and just for a, for a short while, pretend like nothing is going on except this show right here. Boy, I really set the bar high, Andy. Hey, but hopefully if they're driving, they're not like closing their eyes and tuning that's everything right. else out. That's right. That's bad. Please don't. If you're driving and listening, which chances are good that you are, uh, yeah, keep keep both eyes on the road, people. <laughs> um, Andy, I'm I'm excited about tonight. How about you? I'm very excited about tonight. Yeah, we uh, we've brought on, dare I say... Um, we, we're kind of in this, uh, we've had, we've had two similar, uh, when I say similar people, they're, they are different people, but they, they share in roles. We're, we're kind of on this, uh, this, it's like we have pastor type people in here, but, but different. It's kind of outside it's of the outside norm. of the normal pastor type thing. Right. And, and they're, they're chaplainy type people. Chaplainy. That's a, that's, that's a, a new, a new word for a new you. word. Chaplainy. Yes. Uh, so we want to welcome to the show our good friend uh, and soon to be best friend and fellow beard enthusiast, dare I say, uh, Corey Martin. Welcome to the Dudes and Dads podcast. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you, Joel. Good to be here. Yes. Well, uh, I, I do like the beard. I mean, it, guys, I, I, for those of you watching on YouTube, guys, I, I'll just be honest off air before we even started. I just saw I saw that glorious beard. Uh, this that face jacket that he's got going on there and i said goals goals had 2021 goals <laughs> now my wife might leave me over it and we have previously discussed also that um well Corey, your wife is not a fan is that fair to say she's just not a that's, that's that's putting it nicely yes <laughs> so we keep on running into these guys that are like man they, they've just they grow a beautiful beard and the wives aren't digging it as long as I keep mine fairly trimmed, my yeah. Wife as long as you mine. don't look homeless, that's I think your wife's uh, your wife's uh, your True story. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> it. Uh, yeah. See, you, you need to figure out how to pitch this as part of your ministry because <laughs> it's, it's, always, it's always a talking point for me in the jail. If I go up to somebody who I've never met in the jail, we can we always start off talking about my beard because they ask about it. So I pitch it to my wife as. I need this to properly minister to people in the jail. <laughs> yes, love it. That's, I, I hadn't even considered that. Thank you so much. I think I'm going to use that That's one right. for now. I'm, That's right. Corey, can can you tell us? We're going to start off. We like to start off with like the dad stats. So what that really means is tell us who you are, what you know, your family, your job, things like that. Things about you things know your deep dark secrets. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. who who you who you're what who you're married to, how long you've been married. All just let us know as much as you are humanly comfortable letting us know okay well i am married i've been married for 20 
one years now uh, to Shannon Martin. And we met at Bethel. We were both at Bethel and Mishawaka. I was a ministry major. She was a psychology major. She was a junior. I was a freshman. We met maybe three months into my freshman year, and we've been together ever since. We have four kids. The oldest is 26, and we have a, a 10th grader, an 8th grader, and a 6th grader. Uh, Calvin and Ruby. Calvin's a, a sophomore at Goshen High School. He's an orchestra. Ruby's an 8th grade at Goshen Middle School. She's an orchestra. And then Silas is a 6th grader at Bethany Christian. And then Robert, our oldest, is out of the house and lives in Elkhart. Wow. And I serve as a chaplain at the Elkhart <laughs> County Jail. I've been there for about seven years now, I think. Seven years. Excellent. Yeah. So here's here's the uh, what we want to start with is obviously being being a jail chaplain is like a, a ministry jo- job that for me personally, for a long time, was sort of shrouded in mystery. Like what? So uh, for all of us that are, because uh, I'm familiar with the ministry in as much as I've been to your, you know, I've been to some of the uh, the fundraising events and have had conversations. But I mean, what what exactly does a jail chaplain, as you serve at the serve at the Elkhart County Jail, what what is it yeah. that you do, sir? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know what I should be doing. I don't know. I don't have any experience doing this prior than when I when I started. And I've never been to any other jail. And I, I'm not, I'm not really familiar with any other jail ministry. So, I was, I was uniquely unqualified for this job when the board hired me. And uh, ever since then, we've been trying to figure stuff out as we go along. Uh, but one thing I think that we have kind of landed on with our ministry philosophy is that we're pretty low pressure in our approach. And so, you know, the jail, the Elkhart County Jail, I think is the second or third largest in the state of Indiana. And it's filled with a bunch of people. Uh, that's It's probably not their first time in the jail. Uh, they've probably grown up in very different circumstances than I grew up in. Now, I'm generalizing here. This is not accurate to everybody in the jail. Um, but a lot of times there's addictions and past trauma and so their lives have basically been filled with people uh, telling them what they need, need to do differently to be a better person. And I think what they don't need is one more person coming in, kind of lecturing at them or preaching at them about what they need to do differently and what they've done wrong. And, and so we go in, myself and our assistant chaplains and our volunteers, and it's so laid back. And when, you're, when your focus is just to share the love of God with somebody by being their friend, it takes so much pressure off of you thinking that you have to convince them that you're right and they're wrong in order to save their souls from hell. Mm-hmm. You just get to, they get to experience the love of God and the kingdom of God in the context of a friendship and faith always comes up. I mean, I don't have to bring it up. They're all like all of us. They're just curious about, is there more to life than just this? Yeah. And so my, my days look kind of different. <clears throat> I do a couple of book clubs in the jail. Uh, we do, our book clubs are just the best. I mean, we they're all Christian books. It's everything from Love Does by Bob Goff to uh, really kind of more deep, serious books. Uh, but we so they, we read a chapter throughout the week. We get together and talk about them. And by and large, these aren't people who grew up in church or Sunday school. And so you don't have some of these what can tend to be sometimes boring Sunday school conversations. I mean, they are just 
we kind of throw it all out. We talk about everything and no question is off limits and every question is honored. And we have disagreements and arguments. In fact, I think the jail is probably the only place where you can have theological and political disagreements and argue about them and get up and hug each other and still be best friends. It's just, <laughs> it's, just it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I do, I do some of that stuff. I do, you know, you typically think of chaplain stuff. I meet with inmates one-on-one for prayer or spiritual guidance. I oversee our volunteer force, um, our Bible studies in the evening. And then I'm also kind of like an executive director role. So I do all the fundraising and community development and stuff like that. So is, uh, from what I'm hearing you explain, I mean, is it, is it like a nine to five in certain ways or is it, I mean, do you have other regular rhythms to what you're doing kind of on a daily basis with, within the jail? Yeah, sometimes it can be nine to five. And then we always have things that are going on kind of on the weekend that I show up for. Uh, we have baptisms in the evening, baptisms and communion. We have special events that go on. I speak to churches on Sundays. Sometimes um, I'm out in the community and different meetings um, in Elkhart County. So it, it kind of varies. Uh, it, the thing that really varies is not so much what happens inside the jail. It's what happens outside the jail. So what happens is you, you become genuine friends with these people that you meet in the jail and then they get released and they get released with no job, no transportation, no family, no friends, no money, drug addictions, tattoos all over the place, no support system, just nothing. And so we're trying to figure out more and more, what can we do to continue to be with people that we met inside the jail once they get out? And so that's the part that kind of the lines between work and personal time are blurred Mm -hmm, for people in jail ministry, because there's always, you know, I spent a lot of the day today with a guy who was released, who was one of our jail ministry homes. He got out, he has no, all his identification was lost when he was arrested and moved back out and his birth certificate. He was born in the United Kingdom. So trying to get an ID, social security, all the social security card, all this stuff during COVID during the holidays with a foreign birth certificate. I mean, it's just a nightmare. Wow. Yeah. And so that took up a lot of my day today. So it's that personal or is that work? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That yeah. blurs that line there. So tell us a little bit more. Yeah. You had mentioned about these houses. Can you tell us about a little bit about how that works? Yeah. We, when I first started, I mean, it, it becomes apparent, I think very quickly to everyone that it doesn't matter what you do inside the jail. You can do all the great stuff in the world. You could have all the inmates in the, in the jail, memorize the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation in Greek and Hebrew. (laughs) And that's all really good. And then they get out. And like I said, they have no friends, no family, no job, no money, no transportation. And like all that stuff was good, but now what? I mean, it's the Bible memorization, the Bible studies, the prayer groups, they don't house you when you get out. They don't feed you when you get out. So all those things are good. That's where we build the foundation. But we realize quickly, that's like half of the ministry. And if that's all we're doing, we're really not serving people the way they need to be served. And I don't think we're really, um, like, I believe the gospel should be good news here on earth. It shouldn't be good news only when I die and go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And the gospel is, they, a lot of the people in the jail, and I think 
sometimes I fall in this thinking, the church does sometimes, we still fall in this thinking that, okay, things will get better when I die and go to heaven. But I would, I think we can experience the kingdom of God on earth. And, and if we're only sharing the gospel inside the jail through Bible studies, that's great. But how can we, how can we do the other half? How can we have them experience the kingdom of God once they get out by having the church help them with clothing and housing and, and new friend groups and communities and all this other stuff. So we kept thinking, what can we do to help? Like, what's the practical part of this ministry? And housing was just like, it just kept leaping to the front of our list. And I'm just convinced if you don't have a stable place to live, your life will never be stable. Mm-hmm. Your spiritual life, your emotional life, no, you just can't have any stability if you don't know where you're going to sleep at night. So we talked about, you know, let's just, we're going to buy a house and see how this works. And we talked about it at our board meetings. And then one day my wife and I, are, our family were walking to church. We go to St. Mark's United Methodist on the north side of Goshen. We just live in a, a block or two north of there. So we walked to church every Sunday and there was a for sale sign in the yard of one of these homes. And Shannon kind of nudged me and she said, hey, look, that house is for sale. And I'm, I'm pretty kind of not with it most of the time. And I said, oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to see that. Yeah, yeah. I know what she was getting at. She said, you guys said the jail miss, you should buy that house. And so I called our board. Uh, a couple of guys came out. We looked at it on Monday, made an offer. Then we owned it on Tuesday. And <laughs> oh, we were like, goodness. oh, crap. Yeah. Now what do we do? <laughs> now, what do we yeah. do? now what do we do? We have not been prepared <laughs> at all. Uh, so that was our first house. Uh, a married couple moved in who we had known, my wife and I had known from the neighborhood years before, kind of both in and out of jail. Ended up becoming our best friends. They still are. Yep. So they moved into the house. Um, and it's just been, the house wasn't a life changer for me. I mean, the house doesn't change anybody's life. But they were on a good trajectory, trying really hard. And without the house, it would have been really difficult. Mm. So they moved in. I mean, their lives were completely turned around. They ended up buying the house from us, and now they're on my board, and they also do tattoo removal for us at Vista Community Health Center here in Goshen. <laughs> I mean, if that yeah. if that is not the kingdom at work, my friend, I don't know what is. Like, that's the kind of thing, like, my goodness, wow. Yeah. Well, I lead with that story because the rest of it's not so glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> so Good that pitch. is a misrepresentation yeah. <laughs> of, uh, of how it always goes. Yeah. We have, we have three, we had four, we sold that one to the couple. So we have three. And I guess over the past two years, it's been pretty rocky. I mean, you move people in and they start off with the best of intentions and old friends start coming around and drugs and alcohol. And so we've had to help them find other places to live. We tell them we're never, we will never use the word eviction. They hear that enough. They don't need to hear it from us. Now we may at some point have a conversation and say, okay, Joel, uh, it feels like this isn't working out for you anymore. It's not what you signed up for. It's not what you wanted. It doesn't really feel like it's working out for us. So how can we f- help you find someplace else uh, to go? And we've had to have those conversations with a number of different people. Uh, but right now we have, we just have a fantastic group of people living in our homes right now. We have two single guys living in one home. A guy was in prison for 17 years. Another guy who's been out uh, just for about a month. And a single mom with her fifth grade daughter living in another house. And then two single guys on drug court living in our third house. And they're just absolutely, they just needed like what all of us need. 
clean, safe, affordable place to live. And that is just, it just seemed like this, the material stuff is just so easy. We can raise money all day long to buy a house. Uh, we can raise money all day long to buy laser machines, tattoo removal. And so why not take advantage of that? Why not just help them get over some of these high hurdles uh, that are easy for us to help them overcome? And we're getting ready to buy five more homes, uh, hopefully wow. before this summer. <laughs> wow. I, I just, yeah. The, it's, it's one of the, it's the biggest need. Yeah. Yeah. It, in now, and I, I have uh, I have friends that are uh, over at um, uh, overlaps a little bit that in leadership over at Hope Ministries in in South Bend, and you know now for them their recidivism rate um, is pretty high. Usually people have to go through their program a couple times till they get out of the. Um, but I know that housing, like st- a stable place to live, is a is a key thing that without it probably puts people back into the same situation that got them in trouble. In, right. in the first place, so the, the the home stability becomes a bit of a rescue. I mean, from what I'm hearing you say, where it's mm-hmm. like it's a sim, it, it, quote unquote, a simple thing, but it 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 can it it can sort of uh, um, put something in the way of that cycle, that nasty cycle that kind of can keep coming up in someone's life. It makes it easier for somebody who's on a good trajectory to stay on that trajectory. Yeah. Now, so we bought that house our first time. We had no idea what we're doing. We still barely have a clue what we're doing. But one thing we have learned, I think, is we have now started partnering with local, other local ministries and organizations. So what happens is if you're living at Teen Challenge and you complete their program, they have like a halfway house, like a group home you can move to for a while. And then after that, you're kind of... They don't kick you out, but it's like they keep moving you out, and then you move out on your own, and they're facing that they're in the same situation. Now, where do they go? Uh, it's the same way with the spa. It's mm-hmm. the same way at work release when they go out on house arrest. So all these organizations are already working with people, many of whom have been incarcerated. They're doing really well. They've completed programs, and now, you know, team challenge of the spa or whoever, they don't want these people moving out back into – uh, a, a bad environment. So now what we're doing is we're just taking recommendations. Mm-hmm. So Andy Collins from the spa can call me. Rich Meyer from the clubhouse can call me. Tara Piano from drug court can call me and they can move into our house. That's clean, safe, and affordable. They already have that community around them. And those organizations can feel good knowing that people who've been through their program are moving to a really good place to live. That took us longer than it should have to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> that's been that's been the key to has what what's helped to make this work. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I've heard, I've heard from the people that you're talking about that, that have been the success stories and it's just like, I don't know. It, it re, I don't know. It gives me, it gives me hope that actual transformation can happen in lives. We hear all the bad stories and it is hard work coming out of that and and moving through and people have to be committed to it but it does happen it is it is possible it um well and i yeah. so that brings up another thing that i'm always i haven't figured out yet but i talk about it with anybody that i talk to because i don't know the answer but i'm convinced that we are we, we have defined success incorrectly the church has for so long and so if you define success for the jail ministry 
by the testimonies that you hear at our banquet, it's misleading. And I have internal conflict with this, just kind of parading up front people sure. who, yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah. who yeah. Well, <laughs> are like the, the, yeah. the star pupils. Yes. And, yeah. and so you, you've been to some banquets. The majority of the people who have testified at our banquets are back in prison. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now the question is, does that mean they were not successful? Well, I don't know. I mean, it means that they messed up again, but so do I. Right. It means they're back in prison. Uh, but maybe jail and prison was kind of a, a savior for them at that time. Uh, it might have been a better place than where they were. And maybe they stayed out a year and a half instead of six months this time. Maybe they made it a little bit longer. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's just we really, we really tried not to define success by the outcomes of the people who we serve, I guess. Because and I just feel like I have really so little control <laughs> over yeah. anybody I come in contact with. Right. I mean, the, the people who lived in our house for the first time who bought the house from us, I had known them for a long time and they kind of came to, they kind of, the spirit got to them at a time where I was not involved in their life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just kind of happens when they're ready, when God is ready, it happens. And I think our job is to be there for them when they're ready because I can't force it. I just want to make sure right. that I'm in a place to be there for people when they want it. it, the thing that strikes me in particular, and, and, and this is coming from in a day and age where we're seeing uh, spiritual leaders uh, really rely on on coercion and power, I think, often, oftentimes. And, and ultimately, I mean, my opinion is, is when they rely on that long enough, it usually, you know, what goes around comes around as far as that's concerned. But when you're relying on coercion and power, you can get certain results. You can manufacture certain results. I think what is interesting about your role is that those, it sounds to me like what you're saying is a lot of those, even the coercion and power mechanisms are largely not available to you. I mean, it's not saying that you couldn't, you couldn't be that way or you couldn't try to be that way, but your role sounds like, well, it's, cause it's like, these inmates don't have to engage with you. You know, they don't have to engage mm-hmm. with you. They don't have to, whatever it is. It is largely hearing from God, being obedient, coming alongside, and then, and then just asking the next yeah. question of like, what's God going to do next? You right. know, <laughs> well, man, I could, I could spend so much time trying, trying to convince somebody who doesn't want to come to my book club to come to my book club and neglect a whole bunch of people who are actually interested. Yep. And so I, I think the gospel will attract people not through coercion or through the fear of something, the fear of hell or the fear of penalties. I think uh, I think love is a much stronger draw for people. It's much more compelling th- than fear is. Absolutely. And, and love is also a much better convicting force mm-hmm. uh, than fear or judge condemnation is. And so we just kind of do what we do. We hope people see something different in us and they – they're curious and they want to see what's going on and they join us and they feel like they're, that's the other thing. So for our book clubs, whatever we do, I think you'd be hard pressed. If you came to our book club, if your eyes were closed, you wouldn't know if I was the chaplain or an inmate. Mm -hmm. You know, these, these programs are not us getting up and lecturing people. This is us sitting around in a group trying to figure things out together. Yep. Cause I don't have it all figured out. They don't have it all figured right. out. Heck they have, they have such a deeper understanding of grace and mercy and forgiveness than I do. They just, they've had, they've experienced so much than I, more than I have. 
And I've, I've lived a pretty simple life comparatively. Mm-hmm. And so you sit in awe of these guys who are able to forgive their parents for something, who are able to forgive their spouse for something, uh, their friends for betraying them. I mean, it's just, you really get to see the power of the spirit uh, through interactions like that. So that's, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and the fact is, is, as you've mentioned, and we will include this all in our show notes because uh, there are going to, you know, uh, there, there are opportunities to volunteer, to partner in this, mm-hmm. to, to come oh, alongside. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll make sure we have all the information, ways, uh, the ways that you can do that uh, with the jail ministry. Because yeah, I, I love, um, it's, it's always great, uh, Corey, when I see someone within social media and I see some of the people that are volunteering with you and it's like, and I know them in the, I know who those people are in the community. And I'm like, oh, so-and-so is over, you know, over at the jail. And, um, you know, that's just because I, if I know the stories of those people and I'm like, man, I know that they're getting ministered, to, you know, as volunteering, they're the ones that are being ministered to in this experience. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're coming to some, to some new realities and new understandings themselves. I'm, I'm, I'm sure um, that's absolutely, that's absolutely yeah. true. This ministry is a two way street. Yeah. So we, if, if we get in our mind as the church or believers, it's our job to go in there and, and preach and teach and, and, uh, save people. We get, we miss out. Mm. We're shortchanging ourselves because we're not listening enough to the stories of the, the people who are there and who are incarcerated because I, I am just more and more convinced that God he may just have more to teach us through the inmates than he has to teach the inmates through us. I used to, we have just as much to learn from. I don't know. That's actually true. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think we have more to learn from yep. them yeah. than they have from us. Well, I think uh, one of the things I did and Joel, I don't know if you know this, but back when I was in high school, I was in part of a, a prison ministry where I was at. And I, I, I attest to that. That is true. When you go in, you learn, you know, you go in and you learn like there's no, it's almost like the people that I was in there with, you know, were teaching me, like you said, Corey, you know, more than me teaching them. And it was, it was, oh, yeah. it was a blessing for me. I really enjoyed that time of my life when I was able to do that. Yeah. And, and even I, and I would say like, I've been, I've been working on this, obviously working up, up until here, just in, up until just a few days from now, I've, you know, I've been spending the last five years working with young people and I've routinely thought, man, getting getting even younger folks in into that sort of situation or help, or helping expose them to mm-hmm. to those realities it's not a it's not a scared straight no. situation it is a oh, it, no. is, it is a go and be ministered to by by people who have lived a, a very different a very different life who have seen things yeah. but like to your point possibly understand grace mercy and forgiveness way better and have wrestled with those things at a deeper level um and 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 to me that's like it's just how god works he use he mm-hmm. just it's like an upside down kingdom thing it is a you know uh the the, the wise are become simple and the simple become wise yeah. and you know it's that's very much i think uh, it, it's a an, it's a testament to what goes on within within that ministry for sure yeah and, and one of the so when a, in a day and age where tribalism is just running rampant and out of control and everybody is against somebody else or I'm against that group and we don't like that group for this reason and the there um, the interaction in the jail ministry erases that 
because you meet people of all walks of life. And when you sit down across the table from him, you realize, oh, wait a minute, this guy's just like I am. <laughs> there are these superficial differences that we, you know, we think this guy must be bad because he committed this crime. Or how could this person be so stupid that he keeps shooting up meth? Doesn't he know that he's going to go back to jail if he keeps doing that? Or isn't he so stupid that he had six kids that he can't take care of? So we read all these stories in the papers and we see these people in the news on the newscast who are getting, you know, police reports or whatever. And you walk into the jail and you start hearing people's stories and you start becoming close with them. You don't have to be argued out of certain positions. There are certain worldviews that just don't make any sense. They don't <laughs> yeah. jive with yep. they don't jive with reality anymore. Because yep. now when I see something on the news, I'm thinking, oh wait a minute. I know somebody like that. Yep. And he's a really good guy. Yep. And so the jail really um it's hard to hold judgment and condemnation towards people uh, when you're involved in, I'm, I'm sure there are other ministries like this, but I'm just saying when you're involved in the jail ministry, man, it does so much to loosen the grips of judgment and condemnation towards other people. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, well, it, it, you, you just stand, like you said, you stand to do nothing but to benefit from, um, from that 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 experience, so, uh, so Corey, uh, tell us you you I, I did a little I did a little uh, a little creeping on you here, and you you do uh-huh. mention in your social medias that you are uh, Andy and I are Enneagram people. We we like to have this conversation, <laughs> and you mentioned yep. that you're a six. Now Andy and I are both <clears throat> are both twos. Andy's okay. a, Andy's a two one. I'm a two three. So Andy's okay. it means Andy's just more motivated than I am. No, I don't. <laughs> He's more prone to detail oriented things. Um, uh, yeah. So okay. So I know the sixes that I know. My my perception of sixes that I know is that they are scared of things all the time. No, I. <laughs> um, you know. So if so, just for our listeners who are not Enneagram mm-hmm. uh, uh, savvy. So and this is. This is a, a rough a rough sketch. Won't apply to everybody, but um, enneagrams tend to be committed, but security security oriented, um, right. and so hardworking, reliable, responsible, trustworthy, uh, excellent troubleshooters, which is which mm-hmm. is which is great. Um, but a big fear that can come up for a six is uh, being without support or guidance. So. Yes. So I'm just interested in your role, given your personality <laughs> type, how does it, how does like, what have you done to make, to make it quote unquote work? Like what, what have you, cause you've obviously had to surround yourself with the right people too. Um, yeah, given right. that, cause I just think when I think of jail chaplain, I don't think of like security, uh, uh, you know, kind of a uh, well-grounded and normalcy and all, and all of that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just guessing there's been a journey there that you've, you've had to sort of work through. Yeah. Well, I'm, a, I am, I'm all six. I'm okay. a 100% six. There's no question about it. <laughs> and I don't, I don't understand people who, who read the material and they're not, I don't know if I'm this or this. Cause when I read it, it was You're clear. That's, that's, that's what, what you are. Yep. Yeah. They had described me in my entire life perfectly. I'm a six wing five. And I, 
I have always, my entire life, been a very anxious person. Okay. And I've never liked surprises. I've never dealt well with uncertainty. And so, yes, this job may seem a little bit odd uh, for a six to be involved in. Uh, so, you know, backing up, when I read, when I, I can't remember what book it was that I read about the Enneagram, and I read the six, and it was like, it's all, that's all I needed to read. <laughs> yeah. I knew I was a six. And it was so, such a relief to know that there was a number associated with me. So I <laughs> yeah. always thought, what is, why do I worry about stuff so much? Everybody else seems so careless and carefree. And I am just fixated, I, uh, fixated with and, and kind of stifled with anxiety and worry so much. So it was nice to know that it's actually a thing. There are people like this other than me. What helps me in this job, I think, is I have such an incredible board mm-hmm. and such an incredible group of assistant chaplains that I feel like we're in this together and I can pitch a crazy thing like, hey, should we do tattoo removal? Or maybe we should buy a house. And I really trust that if it's a really crazy idea that they would tell me that. But this, the, the security part for me is to knowing, okay, all these people are behind me mm-hmm. and we've, we've analyzed this from every <laughs> angle. That's part of a sixth thing. We have this committee in our mind in our head that's always fighting with each other trying to figure out well what if we do it this way what could go wrong if we do it this way what if we did it this way what could go wrong we're worst case scenario thinkers so we have to play out the worst case scenario of every situation <laughs> which sounds exhausting to me but yes <laughs> it is so well I, I will say i'm also over the past three or four years on anxiety medication mm-hmm. which has also been a huge help yeah yeah <laughs> so, sure good uh, a friend of mine is a therapist and she has a t-shirt that says, people need Jesus and a therapist. Yes. And yes. I'm totally convinced yes. of it. <laughs> I said, why am I, why you know, the Bible says don't worry about things, but I just, that's, I can't help it. And it used to be like a, a condemning thing for me. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think for me, it's been a big help to have the right people in place behind me that I can run stuff by. Um, they can tell me if this is way off in the left base. They help me think through and plan all the things that need to happen to make sure that it works and it's not a failure. That's been a huge blessing for me. Uh, if it was just me, I would be um, analysis paralysis all the time. Yeah, I uh, man, having a good having a good team, and I'm I'm wondering. So, what is? Uh, where, where does Shannon, fall? I'm curious, where does Shannon fall in line with? Because I'm always wondering with when you've got a, a partner who's, a, you know, of a very strong particular personality type, like what's the, yeah. yin, the yin and the yang component there is. So like, how does, <laughs> well, how does she level you out? She's an eight. Oh, and yes. So yeah. So where I'm kind of, well, now not to get too much in the weeds here on the Enneagram, but if people <laughs> yeah. are familiar with this, that's on them because they really should be familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. So Enneagram sixes, they, I could, there are two types of sixes. Um, there's the phobic and the counterphobic sixes. Counterphobic sixes take their feared anxiety and they do something with it and they're pretty aggressive and they can, they can look like eights mm-hmm. because to overcome that fear, they kind of attack it head on. Counterphobic sixes do just the opposite. It kind of just shuts them down. All they can do is think through worst case scenarios and they're afraid to do anything. So my entire life, I've been a counterphobic six and I still am kind of in my personal life. I'm more counterphobic 
in my work life, I'm phobic. So I have this weird kind of dichotomy uh, within myself. But Shannon's an eight. And if you read any Enneagram books about relationships, one of the first things they tell you is if you're an eight and a six, you should never get together. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> they, that's right. They don't play nice together. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, so Shannon, eights thrive in conflict and they build relationship through conflict. So if an eight kind of pushes you and you don't push back, that means they can't trust you. Yeah. And I'm a six. Uh, and so when I get pushed, my tendency is to back down. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have that fight. So Shannon always interpreted that as weakness. And I always interpreted that in her as aggression. I'm like, why are you so mad right now? And yes. she said, I'm not mad. What are you talking about? <laughs> We're just having a conversation. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So it's, it, it's really helped me to not be as fearful, uh, to kind of push through things and, you know, push back in a healthy way. I mean, be more assertive, I guess, in my personal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe I've helped her kind of, um, be less angry. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, if she sees this, Joel, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, well, and I should say I've had a couple of close, I've got a couple of close friends. I've got, uh, I've got one who has been, a. A ministry coach of mine, uh, April, if you're listening, hello. We've had April on the show, April Diaz on the show, who's a strong eight. And I, when I yeah. sit across the table from her, like, and and she's pushing me on on something or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like if I didn't know that she really cared about me, I would think she was like I think would think she we were yeah. not friends. You know, like if I didn't yeah. have the yeah, relationship. That's how it is. And and yet and yet that person having that kind of personality type in your life will unlock things for you that oh absolutely that is that are like like there are things in my life that i have done or conclusions i've come to or places i've gone i would never have thought about unless somebody was a little bit in my face about right. it so eights, <laughs> that's right that's my counter that's my counter uh, speech to all yeah to the angry eight <laughs> right. is to say we we appreciate you those of us that's that are right. just are those of us twos they're just the helpers and just want to be laid back and just you know <laughs> n- not not pushing the wrong buttons yeah um yeah. So, uh, which I guess so we can, we can also drop into, uh, this, this conversation is that you, you, cause now that you've outed your wife as an eight and we've, we've, mm-hmm. uh, tried to speak both <laughs> positively and negatively about her. Um, right. uh, what I mean, your wife is a writer and, and a, yep. and, uh, I mean, I don't know how she how she identifies herself. Writer, speaker, <laughs> blogger, uh, all of the above. Um, yeah, kind of all of it. All that stuff. So, my, uh, from my from my reading and my perception, she is a creative person. Um, mm-hmm. I, what is it like to live with a creative person? Because, um, like, I just know that it can sometimes feel. Um, especially your wife, who I perceive as being pretty driven about things. And we've already discussed the eight things. So she's like, she's, yeah. she wants justice, Andy. She wants justice <laughs> yeah. and she wants it now. That's her word. Yes. That's her word. That is what she wants. How, how, how is that guys like formed your relationship? How is, how is being, um, supporting a creative person who's you know i mean very entrepreneurial as well like what is it mm-hmm. what have you learned in coming alongside of that what's how's your guys's relationship grown and kind of in light of that journey yeah she is a, a very creative person i mean she is just an absolutely fantastic writer um she really it brings her a lot of joy uh just to kind of you know um 
to have our house a certain way. She likes a, a certain aesthetic that she just, she knows what she likes. And so it, it's kind of a busing. I mean, I get to live in a, a home that looks pretty good. No thanks to me. Uh, her creativity extends to her cooking. She's a fantastic cook. She's a fantastic writer. And she is so creative. Uh, the other way that, it, that her creativity kind of shows itself that I really appreciate uh, is that she, she thinks about things in a very different way than I do. And that comes to problem solving. Um, you know, most of the things that we do inside the jail ministry that are going really well have been her idea. <laughs> and she's <laughs> thinking about, and I get, I'm the schmuck who gets to take the credit for it, uh, for, for implementing it. But I'm much more of an implementer than a kind of a creative thinker. Mm. And so she just has this way of expressing herself, her creativity with her words, not just when she writes, but when she speaks and when she's, talking to our kids about things. I'm, I always think in a million years, I would have never have thought to approach this subject the way that you did. And because you did it that way, our kids actually listen to you instead of, you know, me kind of just burning out matter of fact, uh, you know, statements or commands or whatever. Uh, so I, I wish I had half the creativity that she had. Gotcha. So, We've talked a lot about different things that have happened here in the past, and, and it is a new year now. So what are, are your hopes and dreams for this 2021? You know, we sat down uh, again uh, around dinner on New Year's Day. Shannon said, hey, let's sit down with family and figure out kind of what our goals are. This is five things we want to do this year. And I wrote them down. Uh but I do not remember all of them. So that tells you how well I'm getting along so far in 2021. <laughs> but, what, but here's one of mine. Uh, I, I put on Facebook recently, here are the list of podcasts that I've been listening to in 2020 uh, with the intention of this past year, listening to people who th may think differently than I do. And so it kind of ran the, the gamut uh, when it came to politics and theology and and history and some other things. So I'm really trying to break free of, of whatever echo chambers I, I might be in, even or to just become aware of them. Sometimes I'm inside of one, I don't even realize it. But one of the things that I noticed was, almost without exception, every podcast I listened to were white dudes. Mm. Nothing against you guys. No, nope. nope. we are who we are, but talking. yes, yes, we get it. <laughs> um, so one of my goals this year is to broaden uh, my podcast listening to people of color and especially working in the jail where we have a good mixed population. Sure. Uh, there's just something that, that, that people bring to the table is different when you have a completely kind of shared experience, life experience with another group of people. So that's one of my goals this year. One of my other goals, a personal one is to, uh, be more patient with my kids. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I, I let my impatience show too quickly. Mm. Yeah. So, the, so the, the one that I really uh, want to work on this year is kind of broadening even more the people who I listen to and, and read and, and watch. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one thing we haven't touched on yet, and I it's it's important because it's definitely been an important part of your guys's lives, is how you guys built your family. 
and and what and what your family looks like um what your children uh yeah how how your family came to be formed as as it is so uh mm-hmm. just tell tell us about that yeah well you know when we were first married uh we had a, a certain idea of what we thought our family would look like um i think we all kind of do you know when we're married this is how families are formed this is what they're going to look like and then we realized through uh being infertile that we we had a a really severe lack of imagination on how god can bring families together and what the word family actually means mm-hmm. so all of our kids are adopted <clears throat> uh, we adopted calvin and silas from south korea calvin was about five months old when we got him silas was 13 uh, 18 months old when we got him and silas is actually biracial he's part Korean, part Indian. He's more than biracial. He's largely Korean, uh, largely Indian, and then a little bit of Japanese. Uh, Then Ruby was born in South Bend, so she is uh, domestic adoption. And and, uh, Robert, who's 26, uh, I mean, we didn't even meet him until he was 16. I was working at the Crossing Educational Center, and he was a student at the Crossing Educational Center. And for whatever reason, I still don't know. He and I, my very first day, kind of kicked it off. Mm. And nothing about him and nothing about me should have made that possible. Mm. I mean, there's just not, there, you couldn't find two more different people <laughs> in the world. And so, but he just kind of came close to our family. He'd come over for dinner, for holidays, start spending time with us. Well, then he ended up... Uh, going to jail and prison for a while. So my wife and I started visiting him in the jail before I was the chaplain, which is kind of how I ended up being at the, uh, at the jail. Gotcha. When we started visiting Robert, uh, the previous chaplain, Mike Kupke, who'd been there for 28 years, retired. And I was thinking it was time for me to move on from the crossing. So those three things all happened at the same time. And Shannon said, hey, the chaplain position at the jail is open. You visit Robert every week. You should put your application for the chaplain. And she just kept bugging me about it and bugging me about it. So I finally thought, <laughs> whatever, I'll put my application in, I'll put my resume. Uh, I have zero qualifications for this, you know, just to kind of get her to stop telling me to put my application in, I did. Uh, and so again, I mean, even me being here was literally her idea. <laughs> and I, I, fought, I fought it tooth and nail. Oh, wow. And so that's how we met Robert. And then, uh, so he's been a part of our family for, a while now, but he's our oldest, but he also came to us last. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And um, so it, it was not, you know, not the traditional way that people generally think of, of a family, but it's, it's a family. It's a blessing. We yeah. have, yeah. You, know, you just, you just realize there, um, sometimes family has very little to do with genetics and biology. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we place too much emphasis on that. Yep. What I'm sure there are many lessons that you have learned. Uh, if you could name a couple, um, I mean, I think you've just shared one with us about just even the definition of family uh, as being a, a lesson learned. Um, but if you could think of a couple of other things that have really in this journey in, in the, uh, the adoptive journey and, you know, inevitably all all the Mm -hmm. my guess would be 
positive steps forward and missteps that you take along the way because you're you're learning in sure. real real time about being a parent in that context. What what are some yeah. big things that stick out to you? You know, learning lessons wise. Uh, one of the big ones for us was sometimes we romanticize and glamorize adoption, and when you know at least when we adopt you had to take these classes and they kind of told you about the trauma that comes with adoption and but it's mainly pitched in terms of they're so lucky to have a family you're lucky to have them you're rescuing this child and then you adopt them and they're part of your family and the the questions start early on well my friends want to know why you don't look like me they tell me that you're not my dad mm-hmm. and so it so the idea that man, there's just a lot of trauma with adoption. And it's not God's perfect plan. This is not what he intended. intended. Um, and we've tried really hard uh, to connect our kids with their cultural heritage. Uh, we tried really hard to be very open and honest with them about adoption and their what we, what we know about their birth family, at least. Um, we don't try and take the place of their birth family, but it's just, you know, it's amazing. Our, our kids were adopted so young with the exception of Robert, they, they have no memory of Korea or their birth families. And there is significant trauma that they will always have to deal with. And that's one of the biggest lessons we had to learn. And I don't know how to stress that, or if you can, if you can really internalize that before you adopt and, or you have to experience ahead of time. Yeah. That's one of the, our, the big eye openers for us was that okay, this is it's a blessing. Uh, that's a blessing that came at somebody's. It was, it's a blessing that came at a great expense for people, and there was a lot of trauma associated with that. So that's the one thing that she and I have are still learning more and more about, and how to deal with that and cope with it. Um, I'm also learning that even with my kids. Uh, sometimes I don't have as much control as I would like to think that I have. <laughs> and I just kind of yeah. do my best and, mm-hmm. and uh, hope they follow in the right way and trying to find that line between forcing them down a certain road that I think they should go and letting them make those mistakes on their own. And that's just a tough thing to do. And I, like a lot of things in life, I just feel like I have less and less um, control. I mean, I don't, I think it's a good thing. I have less and less control over other people, which I hope uh, changes my kind of posture and attitude and the way that I interact with them yeah. also. And I still try and force my kids to do, so. I mean, I parents, so there are things they have to do right. and I make them do certain things. But, you know, as they get older, you know, Calvin's a 15 year, 15 years old now. So he's going to start making decisions on his own. I'm going to have less and less input on what he does. Trying to figure out how to, make that transition and guide without being overbearing. It's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, and I, I do wonder, um, you know, uh, is like, like I, I think to myself, like as a parent of, you know, I've got four kids and, and Andy's got five and I, I think to myself, um, what (laughs) if, if tomorrow, even if a, from the standpoint of this, if tomorrow a child showed up in my life that I was responsible for that came from a completely different background than me and didn't look like me and the normal, those normal kind of uh, uh, surface level connection points weren't there. 
like mm-hmm. what would what would have to go on with internally with mm-hmm. within me you know like just before we came here i was at dinner with my wife and my little girl who's four years old looking across the table and and making these you know making these faces whatever and i turn to my wife and i go i go she looks more like you every single day i like i <laughs> and and the things that she does are more like you every single day the little gestures yeah. and all of that and how is that a was that a struggle for you was that part of the learning process for you the learning process for me i never really struggled with my kids looking differently than me uh but so adoption is a trauma and there's struggles associated with with adoption that aren't so i'm not saying raising biological kids is easy sure. but there are some additional things that are just different sure. yep. about right. kids who are adopted and then you add transracial adoption on top of that and there's like this whole other layer mm-hmm. of things that i was totally ignorant about uh as a white dude yeah mm-hmm. and when you have an african-american male or african-american son and an african-american daughter and two asian boys uh the world starts looking differently i don't think because the world is different it's just that i'm seeing things for the first time that were hidden to me before mm-hmm. And so it's also been very important for us to be hyper aware and eager to learn more and more about racial race relations in in America, because it's not theoretical anymore to us. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's written in in newspaper columns or history books or you watch on movies. This is is my family that we're talking about now. So that's been another really big uh, learning curve for us because of adopting trans transracially. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the, sorry, just so yeah. things that I've learned that not related to family. If I can throw one more sure, thing absolutely. in, because this is, this has been another big one for me. So we have like 300 volunteers at the Elkhart County jail. We have 15 assistant chaplains. And if there's a church in Elkhart County, it's probably in one way or the other involved in the jail ministry. <clears throat> and that sounds fantastic. But that also means we have churches of this persuasion way over here, and we have churches of this persuasion way over here mm-hmm. that would normally never think yeah. of being together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of them may may have a difficult time referring to the other one as, as Christian, Christian. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. Let alone doing ministry together. So one of the good things for me. And one of the good things for, I think, our volunteers and our assistant chaplains is, again, you're in a communion service with a Mennonite, a Methodist, and a Baptist. It's hard to judge people you're taking communion with. Amen. And now they're serving together and they get to know each other. It is so hard to demonize people now because you're doing communion and baptizing together. Yep. So that one of the things that has really changed since I've been at the jail specifically is the hills that I'm willing to die on, the theological, the theological hills that I'm willing to die on have shrunken dramatically because mm-hmm. <laughs> I have, I know so many believers who are doing their absolute best to follow the Holy Spirit who disagree on significant issues. Yeah. And so at the jail ministry, we focus on like, what are the absolute, we try and find the fewest things that unite us as believers. So what are the fewest things that you can put on a list that says, this makes me a Christian. And if it's not 
if it's not on that list, those are things we're not going to focus on inside the jail. And that list is just shrunk and shrunk. You know, who is Jesus? What did he do for me? Mm-hmm. And man, if it's, so we put out, um, it's on our website now. It's kind of our ministry philosophy statement of faith. And it's basically the Apostles' Creed and Romans 10, 9 or 9, 10. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ and rose from the dead, you will be saved. And that's kind of it. Now, I, I may have strong opinions about something. I'm not saying there are no other significant issues, theological issues or social issues in the church that we need to deal with. But one of the things that have really changed in me over the years are those ones that I'm really willing to fight with people mm-hmm. yep. over. Yep. And if, if we didn't have that, um, if we didn't take that approach in the jail, it'd be a very boring monolithic echo chamber of, of, uh, <laughs> volunteers. Yeah. And it would just drive me crazy. I'd just be bored out of my mind. I'm sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and I, I just, I, it is a fascinating thing that, that in ministries like, like the one that you're involved with, I think just clarify so much for us or, or stand to clarify so much for us if we're willing to step into them. Um, and you know, and, and I, you know, it's like we, it feels like we have, I don't know, I'm sure, I'm sure even to this day, there are perspectives and views that I hold that I hold because they've been unchallenged because I have Mm -hmm. not been in an environment You know, and this could be any number of things, yeah. but I have not right. been in an environment where another perspective was offered to me in a, in a, in a thoughtful, caring way. And, right. and, and so it's like, well, um, you know, so it, it's amazing. It is amazing when we serve together, what is centrally important is clarified when we, right. when, when we tribalize and separate ourselves, then we can come up with a whole list of things that are vital. We think are vitally important mm-hmm. to us uh, as far, part of our yeah. identity. And, and they, it, it just, it doesn't always have to be that way. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm just becoming more and more comfortable with, with questions. I don't know the answers to, Yeah, you know, I kind of, I kind of grew up in a church thinking the goal was to have all the answers and to know everything about God there was to know. And, I was not very successful in doing that. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of doubting and challenging or questioning were not things that were encouraged. Yeah. But I, I feel like I've grown so much more in my faith and my, and my relationship with God since I've been questioning and asking questions and reconsidering and talking with other people. That's when I've grown. When I thought that I had it all figured out, I think I, think, uh, I was a, a pretty unbearable person to talk with mm. about God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know I was. Yeah, not not too seasoned with salt and what and what have you. No, uh, yeah, no, uh-uh. yeah, 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 and you know, and and really, I mean, we're yeah. I I just wonder. I mean, are you aware of any inmate that's ever that's ever come to faith because they were talked into it? Uh, you know, made to <laughs> mentally assent to a set of a set of facts. I can almost guarantee the answer is no. <laughs> No, not, not, no, <laughs> not yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. Now, now we do. Now, of course we do have some people who get baptized so they can get a certificate so they can give it to the judge to try to get a time. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's, that's one thing we do run into every now and then. Sure. Uh, sure. <laughs> yep. It doesn't really, it never really works, but they still try. Yeah. Well, Hey Corey, we really appreciate you being on the show tonight, but before we let you yeah, go, enjoy it. Yeah. We've got, we've got to put you through one final test. 
Okay, I'm bracing myself. Now it's myself. time for Dudes and Dads Pop Quiz. Thank you. All right, so this is this is the pop quiz. So this is a random time we just ask pop questions. You don't know, we don't know. We kind of come up with them off. The, as the spirit uh, leads, as they as they say. If we, if we were more charismatic, we'd right, be like, right, whatever, right. Whatever, whatever, uh, whatever. That's always dangerous. Yeah, yeah, that's right. always dangerous to do that. Right. So I'm, I'll go ahead and ask the, the first question. Where was the first place that you and Shannon went on a date? Uh, it, we went on a hayride at one of our professor's houses. Uh, it wasn't Halloween, of course, because this is the missionary church. Thank it you. was a fall festival. Thank it was you. a fall festival Thank at you. one of our professor's uh, uh, houses. <laughs> I remember it well. <laughs> so it was well, it was well chaperoned and uh, oh, yes. yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> and, and well no lit dance. areas. So it's so yeah, proud. No, <laughs> so proud. And no dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and no dancing. That's right, uh, <laughs> Corey. Um, what uh, in this in this past year tell me what's what's been your favorite book that you have read and i'm i'm just going to assume that you are a reader it sounds that way to me yep. what's been what's been the what's been the favorite book um it's it might actually be my favorite book of all time Ooh, like here all we go hot take novels. hot take okay I, I read towards the end of last year it's called the water dancer by tanahisi coates why do i know i feel like i know that author i mean that He's, yeah, he's pretty well known in kind of, in kind of political circles. Okay, he's written a few it. different books. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a novel. It is, I won't say anything else about it, but I just cannot recommend it enough. Okay. Gotcha. The water, the water dancer. Okay. We're going to put that. Dancer. We'll put that in the show notes too. All cool. right. Beautiful. Do it. It's fantastic. Uh, so my next question, I, I see, you know, on our, our video chat here that you were sitting in a shed full of tools. What is your favorite <laughs> tool in that shed? Uh, my air compressor. Yes. Okay. Good answer. <laughs> I use it all the time, all the time. I'd be lost without it. Good answer. And I hook so many of my other, I can't use so many of my tools without it. That's it's true. like, That's uh, true. I'd be lost without it. That's good. Uh, let's see here. Cor- you, you've, and you, you've held a, a, a decent number of jobs in your, in your time so far. If, if you, if you could have some sort of, let's say, non-ministry related job, mm-hmm. uh, what what do you think it would be? A watchmaker and watch repairer. Wow. What do you think about that? that that's a first. <laughs> yeah. That's a first. I've, I've become fascinated with mechanical watches over the past mm-hmm. five years. In fact, I always wear two watches on my wrist at all times. People make, people make fun of me and I don't care. I'm starting a new trend. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> well, in yep. the case of an accident, if one arm or limb is, is pinned and you're unable to see it, you'll still know you still got the other yeah. one available. Yeah. Joel, you are speaking my language. You're talking like a six. There we go. <laughs> uh Oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> all right. I think my last question will be, uh, what was your first vehicle that you ever owned? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what year it was, but it was an old Ford one fifty, uh, stick shift. I don't remember. I loved it. I totaled it. I ran into a triaxle fully loaded, uh, loaded dump truck Ooh. in Wakarusa and it won. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I l- loved that truck. My very first vehicle. All right, Corey, I, we, because we can't end on a shallow question, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's fast forward to the day of your funeral and, uh, mm-hmm. you, you're, you've got someone who is going to stand up and who's going to say meaningful things about you. Uh, what, <laughs> what, uh, 
what do you want to be remembered for on the face of this earth? I don't know people say they could, they could talk to me about anything, come to me with anything, reveal anything to me, and I was unfazed by what they said to me. And they knew that I was, a, I was going to say I was a safe place they could go to. Mm. That's what I think I'd want them to say. Beautiful. Yep. That's, and see, that, that, uh, that's why we don't end on the shallow question. That's why we do. <laughs> see, well, of course, they, the have to say some, they have to say something about my beard, also. <laughs> and they'll say those things. And of course, we also mourn the loss of, of, the, beard. of the beard, which I'm just going to say by the time you, by the time you pass in ripe old years, will be probably three or four feet long. So oh, it'll be phenomenal. It'll be like a national landmark. It'll be wonderful. Wonderful. A, a three foot long beard uh, divorcee. Oh, jeez. Oh, Shannon, she just put up with it as long. You know what? The thing is, if it is that long, we know how it is that you came to your end. That's right. the little. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. The, she drew the line at two and a half feet. That's right. You crossed it and that, that's, that's what it took. <laughs> oh my gosh. Corey, man, it has been, uh, it has been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to share this time with you. Uh, and, and uh, we yeah. just want to encourage everybody in the show notes uh, over at dudes and dads podcast.com. Uh, we're going to have ways you can volunteer with the jail ministry. We're going to have, uh, just an embarrassingly, uh, high, uh, <laughs> high level of information over there to help you get connected and to know more about, uh, Corey and his family. But, uh, we thank you guys for tuning in as always. Uh, you can, uh, give us some feedback over at dudes and dads podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can like us, share us. Uh, send us voicemail. Send us voicemail. That's a nice one too. There's <laughs> yeah. the number there. Andy, do you know the number off the top of your head? Not off the top of my head. Well, don't, go to the website. Go yeah, to the website. Dudesanddadspodcast.com. <laughs> but uh, guys, until next time, we wish you grace and peace.